It was a crash course in empathy. I'd been this athlete. I'd been very self-absorbed. I was going to make a movie on Everest with a camera about me doing something insane. Like, it speaks for itself. Like, this is what I can pass on is warning millennials like me, like, don't fall into the same egotistical path that I did and realize that there is other people. There are other people on this planet. Like, it's not all about you. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 437. Nepal is an amazing and interesting country for a lot of reasons. But did you know that Nepal is the only country in the world whose flag is not rectangular? And it looks so cool when you're walking down Philadelphia's Ben Franklin Parkway. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone I had the great honor to have on three and a half years ago, way back, episode 272, if you want to go check that out, and who has since continued his immersive exploration, which is an awesome term, by the way, immersive exploration, which includes working the hardest job on the planet. We're going to get into that. Nate Menninger from his new project, theporterfilm.com. Nate, thanks for joining me. Huge welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I uh, I told Nate earlier, but I want everyone in the podcast world to hear. I watched the beginning of Nate's film and actually stopped it and said, I don't want to watch the rest until I get him on the podcast because I want to kind of unpack it with you, Nate, without kind of knowing everything that's going to unfold. And so I've put a plug in that. I mean, when did you, you sent it to me months ago, right? At this point. So I've been waiting with bated breath for this day so that I can scurry off after this and go watch the rest of it. Um, I want you to take us back to when we last talked, April, 2017. Give it, kind of fill us in because we're going to dive deep on the Porter film and everything that, that went into that. But take us back to that time if you can. What were your plans there? Like, what was the goal and how did you get, like, how did the Porter film actually come into being? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's a long time ago. Yes. Uh, I was mentioning before <laughs> we started this live recording that you were one of the early supporters before my, uh, my aloof stages while I was still a very heavy, heavily noted as a dreamer without having anything. So at that point, I was touring South America, trying to compile all these adventures and projects and kind of growing into myself, you know, as you do when you're whatever years old. So I, I uh, long story short, I had tried to put together a bunch more projects and I'd grown from the physical to the cultural. And a project for me is something that's like just very – dangerous at first it was just something super dangerous something super super risky um basically like that guy who coined the term ten thousand hours i like to say i was i was trying to do that just in shorter time period all right so okay so I you're would, trying uh, to jump the line not do ten thousand hours yeah, but get exactly. to the expertise of it that's way too long ten thousand hours <laughs> you know so i would i would approach these cultural challenges or professions or just environments as naturally as I could. So without any experience in doing it as the locals do. And I grew from physical challenges and then to more uh, cultural, getting immersive and then to mental as well. And then I kind of threw them all together. But uh, th- this this project, the Porter, was kind of the first one I've ever really had proof of. It's the first one I've ever been able to show anyone in entirety. And uh, it, re- it kind of screwed me up, this film. But but yeah, yeah. I mean, I could say so much. There's all these little projects I did before I got there, but 
Yeah, well, what were some of those? Like, just give us kind of a, a little roll call of okay, okay. some of the projects that you tried to do or that you, or that you did. After I spoke with you, I think I landed or I'd already landed in the favela in Brazil. I was uh, living at a favela there, sleeping on the floor of a house with nothing in the room and with people I met off the street. And I had to learn Portuguese in like two weeks. And that's where I really fell in love with it. So I came home and I, I had tried sports. And after that, I was like, okay, let's, I need to get one of these filmed. I need to start my career. So I tried the Kickstarter. That failed. And then the projects, then I just was like, I'm not waiting. So what can I do for no money? Well, I'll, I'll go swear to silence in the Himalaya because that would be crazy experience to write about. So if I teach myself Nepali, maybe I can knock on one of the monasteries in the mountains, just knock on the door like James Bond and just ask them, hey, can I stay here for like three months? That was my logic. So I sat there in DC as I'm working as a waiter with my roommate who works on Capitol Hill and I'm teaching myself Nepali on the internet in a couple weeks. And then by the time I leave, I found it doesn't exist, what I'm looking for. So I go over there and do an alternative, which is this two weeks of silence. And uh, it's that's quite unique. I'd never done any meditation, so that blew my mind. And then a day after, I went and started hiking and then did ice climbing. Um, and then I was just going to like write about it. I was writing a lot. And then I tried to become a stripper. I was going to write about that. I got the job. I had to – I don't want to say the expletives that I – that I had to get, but it was going to be house calls. But before I got that, I got another job. Um, it was basically just putting all these together until it reached a point, you know, I didn't want to do another project without filming it, without sharing it with the world and somehow. So I'd been writing my whole life, but I hold a, I hold myself to a high bar and I didn't think that'd be ready for a long time. I was like, I need proof now. I was getting impatient. So a bunch of crazy adventures, catapulted me into coming forth with like this dream of mine to make this tv show which it was now it's different but uh i came out with that and ended up raising money for this project so it was those it was silence high two eyes climbing trying to become a stripper and, uh, <laughs> and then that led you back to nepal where you decided i, I mean we'll get, why don't we just get into it you decided that you were going to take on what you call and probably the hardest job on earth. So explain what that is and, and why, like, what was it about that? Like, what was it about that job as being a porter in specific that you were like, I'm going to take this on? Yeah, for sure. I think that that little title is a bit of a, is, is a bit for posterity. I'm sure there's some other really hard jobs out there. Um, but this one particularly, I mean, everyone's heard of Sherpas, you know, I went there to try and become one of them, to try and prove that I could be one of the strongest people on earth. And yeah, I wanted to show off their lifestyle and, and show the world what they do, but I had no idea what I was getting into. I just was this former washed up athlete who never really made it pro and who wanted to prove to everyone, probably myself, that like, oh, you know, I could still do it. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I went over there and put this project together on a whim with money I raised from a PA, a, uh, an old teammate and a high school classmate who I didn't know too well. And I left. And next thing you know, I was, I was suiting up to become a porter. So Sherpas, maybe a lot of your people know, unlike other people, but Sherpas are just an ethnic group and they predominate the mountain area. And they often work, the job they work is called the porter, is called the porter job. So that's who carries the loads for foreigners. And there's a whole industry over there in Nepal, um, as there is in all the Himalaya. But a porter is just one who carries bags for their hotels, hotels, you know, clients, people climbing Everest, like Annapurna, Amadablan, and then all these other little shops and stuff. They supply the whole region with everything because there's no roads. And so for but you, sure. you said, all right, cool. I, I'm going to mostly prove it to myself. Like I am one of the, I'm, I'm going to like take on this physical challenge. I'll showcase their lifestyle, but it is, it's like, I, I don't want to call it a selfish mission, but part of it was like, I want to dive into this too. It was a little selfish. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, immersive exploration, like that's the type of travel you like doing. I don't just want to see someone carrying my bags. 
I want to know what it's like to experience that. And so you go over there. What transpires? Like, I I assume, and, and, and I could be wrong, that there are not many white males from the U.S. going over saying, hey, can I get a job as a porter? No, I think there's actually been one other and perhaps two others, um, which I was kind of upset about. I had to amend the first ever, but now I feel bonded to them. Anyways, I went over, I had this whole plan that I was, I was going to port her on Everest, you know, because that would be the biggest, coolest thing ever. I couldn't raise that level of money at all. So I'm over there with money I've spent from other people and trying to figure it out. My videographer who had, was an award winner, um, who I was kind of deluded in getting on, dropped out. And then I'm left there with other people's money spent in Nepal with nothing, right? No company that I'm working with, no videographer, nothing. And I am like, when you live this travel lifestyle, as I'm sure you know, before you had the podcast, you are, you're broke, you know, you're scraping by. So everyone's money, I was, was there. It was their money that I was spending, and uh, time was taken, and luckily I, I got this one videographer who brought an assistant, and he happened to have some extra time that month and signed on. And then I ended up just walking through all the streets and knocking on every single trekking agency's door, basically 20 of them. And the first one was like, yeah, we'll do it. So from that point on, Nellie Bly, I don't know if you heard of her, she like feigned insanity a long time ago to get into an insane asylum to report on what it was like. And then this other, this other guy, George Plimpton joined the NFL and uh, I do know him. Yeah. Yeah. Paper lion, the book paper lion. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that was like my, okay, let's do it like that. So I wanted to do everything that the porters did. What, like, I'm not going to buy new shoes because I didn't feel they could buy new shoes. What kind of jackets do they have? What do they eat? What kind of clothes are they going to wear? I had to choose one shirt. What kind of shirt? Am I going to choose a Nike dry fit? I feel like they might not have that. So I just chose a cotton shirt for 23 days. And it was decisions like that for the entirety of the time. And uh, sometimes I broke and I had to like, I snuck out and spoke some English to clients. But for the most part, for 23 days, I was living as closely as I could to everything that they would do in their own life. What made the trekking agency decide to take you on? Because I like that's a good question. Why do you know? Did they tell you? Like, what was in it for them, really, other than just having a a porter? But I'm sure they can find porters that are <laughs> more experienced, know the region. You know why? Yeah, I don't. I I came in kind of guns blazing. I was like, listen. I'm gonna make a, I'm making a film. Like I want to be a porter and make a film about it and follow it and expose the porter lives and all this. And he was, he, I guess he just saw it. I mean, everyone knows the porter lives are very mistreated. And then on a second term, like his company getting out there helps with business. You know, um, since then a ton has transpired. Like, you know, the film reveals some stuff that's definitely not the greatest um, over there. But that's why I don't know why it took me. I think he just a it's a business opportunity to get his name out there with a positive light to China, show what's going on. Yeah, um, yeah, and I mean, I guess too, it's interesting, right? Like same as we like to travel because it's new things. Yeah, it might be a bit of a headache to have you there at first, but it's also a store like it's helping their day to day life be a lot more interesting than than what it would normally be. So, all right, you get in. You're going to be a porter. I mean, and so you you got the videographer. You got one guy who's going to be following you around at that point. What walk us through the first, the beginning stages, let's say, like, was it, was it eye opening? What was like the big shocks right off the bat when this guy said, yep. And you're like, all right, I'm starting this. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, you mentioned that it helps their lives. I don't know if it helps them be enjoyment. It was just a boss who let me do it. So other porters didn't have a role in deciding. I was just adding that. But uh, coming off, dude, the first eight days I had to make it to Lukla. Lukla is a city in the mountains. So it's like 80 to 100 miles away from a city that you take a bus to. 
So a lot of people fly when they go to Everest, just like when you're going to some of these mountains in Colorado, you fly to the local airport as opposed to drive from Denver or whatever. Um, and at Everest, you fly these 100 miles and it plants you right there at the bottom um, of the trek to Everest. Whereas if you walk and take the really the cheapest route possible, you take a little bus, then you walk these 100 miles. So those 100 miles I had to do uh, on my own, just with the cinematographer. So you and weren't with any other porters at that point? No. At this point, I didn't even really know whether it was a go. You know, like... <laughs> like I, he said I, it was a go, but he's like, get to Luca, and you're like, you uh, no okay. <laughs> yeah, I was crossing my fingers hard. And at this point, I'm, the hardest part at the beginning was the dieting. So you're eating salt tea, which is tea with salt in it. It's called Sherpa tea. You're having porridge with just salt in it. You're not drinking water. You're it, the whole diet. There's no sugar. Like if they couldn't eat Snickers, I couldn't eat Snickers. If they couldn't have Coke. I couldn't have Coke. And yeah, they can, but they wouldn't spend that money and they wouldn't do that. Cause a, they might not have a palate for it and B it's just an excess money. So I'm like, I really want it, but it's not, it's not justifiable. So I'm only eating that salt diet so heavily. I'm having these like convulsions as I'm walking. I'm not carrying that much. It's probably like 50 pounds, just my videographers and I, cinematographers and I, equipment. But I am sluggish as hell and just loafing around and my mind's all out of, out of sorts. And you know, you're just in the, you're trekking in the middle of nowhere. I'm, I, you've done it. Everyone's done it. And you're just kind of down, but you're also like this guy who, who's leading, uh, who's spent thousands of dollars that's not his money on a film that you don't even know if it's a real film yet. Right, you're like, like it hasn't even started almost. Like it's just you're in like the, you're in like the first five minutes of the film, yeah. right? So you have no idea. You have no idea if this will just be a trailer, if this will just be able to show people what you do. This will be a film. You have no idea, but you have to act like you do. Because you have a guy who's working for you and you're in the middle of nowhere and you're on camera. So the hardest part was adjusting to the diet and just hope. I mean, you're just hoping that it's going to start, you know. So you get there. You, you take this eight-day trek, just you, you and, the, and your film guy. And you're, yeah, you're, you're not eating regular food. Now, now your film guy, was he doing, he was doing normal things. Like he's like, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm just here to video. Yeah, he, I wanted him to eat anything he wanted, but he mostly ate the same as me. Um, once we got past, he started eating different stuff, but I wanted him to keep, I wanted to keep him as pampered as I could because like I needed him to be at his peak more so than me. He, we have like all this footage. I knew nothing about movies. You have all this footage you have to upload every night and backlog and batteries you have to recharge solarly and all this nonsense we weren't even into the high altitudes we're just getting a mesh but uh but normally he's eating the same food and we get to the high camp lukla and now we're now we're arriving at a friend of a friend's place where i'm meeting another friend and the whole time you're doing these interviews but you don't really know anything about interviews because you've never done one so you've Maybe you did one before in Kathmandu, but I'm not like you, Trav. Like, you know, you have the perfect voice. You have the perfect reactions. You have the, <laughs> I don't you think like, perfect is the right word, but no, I get what you're saying. Good. It's really good, but yes. I don't have that. So you're sitting there saying like, all right, I'm interviewing. So not only are you like, I don't have experience interviewing, but you're also saying, I don't know what the theme of this movie is, is going to be. Like, I don't know what questions to ask because we're not sure how this is going to turn out. Right. You're not like you can't really guide someone to to give you like the answer that you're like, oh, yep, there's the 20 second soundbite because you're like, who knows what's going to happen? OK, yeah, yeah and, that's and tough. Sometimes, and I knew the portering was important. Right. That that's what I like. That's the only thing I'm doing. But I wanted to get all this cultural stuff. I just didn't know what would matter. So I'm asking these questions. I don't know which one matters. Sometimes I can't even understand the answers because. I just, they're speaking a dialect. We have a translator. Um, one time it was a friend. Anyways, the real project starts. We don't even know if this whole eight days will make it into the whole film. And we're filming a ton. And we get to the Lukla. And at this point, uh, 
We have two days to kill. I still don't know if I have a job. I text someone back in Kathmandu. He texts someone up in Lukula, and that guy shows up the next day. And he shows up with someone else, and all of a sudden, I'm ecstatic. Like, this is happening. Is this, this can't be happening. This still can't be happening. You know, like, I'm not actually going to be able to do this. I just need to get to day one. That's it. And uh, sure enough, you know, it was happening. So walk us through your thoughts at that point, because obviously you want it to happen, right? Like you wouldn't go through all the effort if you didn't, but there's got to be fear there of, of you saying, I was carrying 50 pounds. We weren't even at high camp. I, you know, I'm eating just basically salt, <laughs> you know, what were your biggest fears? Like at that point, what was it for your physical health? Was it more that you were going to fail? Was it, was it just like, Hey, is, am I going to do this and it's not going to have an impact? Like what were, what were going through your head at that point? Yeah, I'm trying to think back. It's neat to transplant yourself to any time. Um, my biggest fear there was the film. Honestly, like this hoarding stuff or this immersion stuff, like there's a reason I wanted to do it because I enjoy it. I actually like enjoy, I enjoy this stuff. When it's hard, I enjoy it. I don't know why. That's just how I'm wired. That's that's what I do. So what was really a struggle for me was the film. Like I knew nothing about film, and I'm paying this guy a ton of money, acting like I do know stuff about film, and I have to. The way I like to immerse is so completely like a method actor. You know, like you're never breaking, but I can't never break because I have to manage. And I'm not saying I'm managing him. Because he's managing himself, but he probably would have done fine if I didn't say anything. But you're still, you know, you're in control of this project and you have to break to make sure the stuff's getting uploaded, to make sure it's the right angle or to be corrected yourself and you're coming in and out, making sure he's there at the same time. Is he capturing this moment? This is a good moment. This is what I want, the laughing. And the, but he's not or he is or he wasn't or maybe he was. I didn't even know or that's mainly the stress, but. At the beginning, I was just purely excited. I mean, I was about to do another project of mine. I was going to do something that was crazy. People were looking at me like, this is crazy already. What are you doing? Laughs and stuff. And uh, that's that's where I fit in. What so. was the reaction from the other porters? Like, obviously, they got explained what, what was happening. But, yeah, what were the other people? Were they intrigued? Did they not care? Were they, like, standoffish? I, I'm guessing not as much the last one because Nepalese people are pretty, pretty nice. But yeah, what did they think? It's a weird position to be put in, right? That I put myself in. You show up to a, a developing country. I think that's the right way to say it. I don't know. It's further developed than us in many ways. But you show up to this country and you're working one of the poorest jobs of that country. And you're coming in there with a camera. And that poorest job works for some of the richest people in the world. So you're right in between the two. And the rich people are looking at you standing next to the poor people smiling like you're a novelty. And the poor workers, I don't know what they're thinking. Are they thinking, screw this guy, this asshole? Or are they thinking, who knows? So the whole time I wanted, it's like a team. You just want to prove your respect for them. Prove that you'll do anything. So it's it's soft at first because they didn't want to expose me to to it for real. They always wanted me to sleep in my own bed. They always wanted me to have not carry as much. And the whole time I'm like, I want more. I want more, more, more. Put me on the floor. Put me on the floor. Give me worse. What are you having? Like, I just wanted the maximum the maximum threshold of what it was like to be a porter in the worst conditions. And uh, doing continuously doing that got me to earn their respect like you know there's not that many people because we were in the off season and you'd have like two blankets but in season you only have one blanket so i'd ask them that and they say oh in season only one blanket and i'd just strip the other blanket off and i'd be like i gotta experience what it's like in season and i, I don't know if i did that every night but that was the goal you know and through that you gain the respect until ultimately um I hope you, you get close to them but or you grow together. But you just distance yourself from clients. It's a very weird position to be put in. Yeah. I, I didn't, you know, 
up until you said that, I actually didn't even think about the fact that there were clients. Like, I mean, I know inherently, of course, you're portering for someone else, but it it never crossed my mind that then there were these wealthy people who were hiking Everest and had paid tens of thousands of dollars to be there and had all the best gear. Obviously, there's the porters, the Nepalese porters who have nothing. And there you are saying, you know, I'm not as rich as these people, but but I'm a lot closer to them in, in real life than I am to you. But I'm trying to, to live your life. Like, I, I didn't even think that there was that. Meta. And you have a camera there. The right. Whole time, right. A camera. There's someone you're paying to film you. Like, obviously, you have stuff. You have means, even if it's not <laughs> like some people that are there. So w- then talk us kind of through the, the, the experience or like then the actual, hey, we're portering. Like, we're going. I'm a part of this team. And yeah, what was it like? What was the day-to-day life? And then what were those what were the struggles? Yeah, I uh most of this stuff that we're talking about now didn't I could sense it back then, but it didn't really hit me until long after. Uh the day-to-day was just I mean, I'm trying to transport myself back right now, so I'm looking off, but it's a lot of silence. There's a lot of silence, a lot of lying in bed. You know, when you're not, when you work, you wake up, the clients pack their bags and eat breakfast. You have to pick the bags up once they're packed and arrive at the next camp before they arrive. Um, So you're moving very fast. I'm not moving as fast, obviously. Uh, The pain at the beginning is insane in my neck and back. Because you're carrying, what, 100 pounds maybe? At the beginning, probably like 60, 70, you know? Um, And they're probably exaggerating, so it could be less. Um, I don't really know, but I'm keep adding weight and the whole, you're, you're in serious pain at night. You sleep on the floor. You basically drop their bags, the client's bags off in a nice hotel, nice hotel. If you've ever been to the Everest region, it's not that nice. I mean, it looks nice, but it's still cold. Um, and then you leave, you scatter away to a secluded, segregated hut, and that could be in a different house, but it's always off and into the distance and away from the hotels. And there you enter, and it's like a, a porter home. And here's a congregation of X amount of porters. And at the lower camps, they're separated into like ethnic houses. It's like all the Sherpas will be in this, all the Tamang. And once you get higher, it's just one house. Um, but everyone's everyone's sleeping there on the floor two to a bed. Maybe I saw three to a bed. Um, you're using segregated bathrooms. You're, you're eating not the same food at all. You know, you're eating what they serve and that's what you're eating. Occasionally you might get a treat of some dumplings or chow mein, but it's usually just rice and a very small amount of meat. Maybe at the higher camps, no meat and just these little vegetables, um, and a lot of salt. That's it. And some dal, which is what's called dal bot, rice and rice and dal. Um, and you eat that and not a lot. Rice is the main diet. You just inhale rice. And you do that every day, every day. So you four hours trekking with this bag, then seven, then six, then five, depends how fast you move. And when you get there and you have five hours to uh, you know, do nothing. At the beginning, you're just lying in bed, like wasting time and conserving your money. You don't want to spend money because because that's your money, right? We get paid $15 a day where I worked. Some get paid $20 a day. Really poor get paid $12. Um, and you have to buy. If you email, they'll tell you that they purchase their housing and, and food. Like your what you pay gets the porters at, but that's just not true. So you as a porter case. have to pay for your spot in that porter house. You have to pay for your your meal, your rice and stuff like that. Right. So that's $7 a night. And the higher you get, the higher prices get until the top camp where your prices are higher than your daily salary. So you're shedding out 20 bucks and you're sleeping with 40 plus people, you know, and you're making $15 that day, maybe 12, maybe 20, but that's zero profit. And you're, you're like, I talked to one guy who started a company. He was like, when I was a porter, I would only eat half rations because I was trying to save my money. And, uh, 
like it's very very it's very difficult and i i can never even understand because i wasn't really trying to save my money like that right right you were like i i you know yeah you weren't doing it to make money obviously (laughs) um and so you said all right well i can spend it if i want more rice or what have you what about well i wouldn't spend i wouldn't try to spend for more rice yeah because you wanted to live the the life that they were living well what then for you or, or for all of them, every porter there, when you had this time, you drop the bags and then you're there and then you just have time until, until you wake up the next morning. Was there a sense of camaraderie? Was there, did, did people, yeah, like were they playing games or there's a leisure activities or was it just really, hey, I'm just, it's just kind of solitude. You just do your thing and you wake up the next day and go. I think it took me a little to get ingrained in the situation to even be exposed. Uh, but for the first few days, there wasn't much. And then it started to develop. The closer we got, the more people there, the less porterhouses there were and the more people there were in each. Then you'd walk in and now they're like car dealing circles and they're, you know, they're gambling and it's, you know, it's a scene out of a film. I mean, you walk in and it's like, boom, back doors, freaking six people in this circle, six people in this circle, six people in this circle, throwing money here, doing this, doing that. And then it, it's awesome. It's really good that people watching and some sleeping. And for that brief moment, I loved it. Uh, but then you also have, you know, people play poker, uh, pool. I mean, not poker. They play pool um, and they'll hang out and chat. Uh, but it's mainly pool and uh toss is what it's called which is this card game and between those two that's how you kill your time but others we had an off day uh so when a lot of us are playing toss the the card game um or cleaning our clothes no one takes a shower the whole time so i didn't take a shower for 23 days um, is that because it's not there aren't facilities or like you'd have to pay for it or it's just it's just not done no there's no facilities for porters not that i saw uh, and some, some people wash their clothes and you get too high, it's going to freeze. But on those off days too, there's two types of porters. There's those who work for clients. And then there's those who like carry for all the hotels and like shops and just supply the area with goods. And then also work, uh, for just one off groups. So like contract workers. So on your off day, one guy from my immediate group and another one, they took contract jobs on their off day to go run four hours up to like some mid camp of some mountain that's like very high, um, deliver some beds and some other mattresses and some water, I think, and come down on their off day. Eight, eight hours plus to earn like another X amount of money, not a lot, right? So between those three, that's it. That's it. You know, a lot of eating. There's some eating. There's some chatting. There's some tea. Otherwise, that's how you have fun, and you do have fun like that. But yeah, it's a pretty. It's a very simple life, especially compared to to what we're used to. So for you, physically, because that was one of the things, right? You wanted to challenge yourself. Were there any breaking points, or were or were you just like, no, like I'm doing it. Like I set my mind to it. I'm going. Yeah, I think, I think with anything, you almost, I, you thought you had to reach the bottom. Like, there was one day when I bumped up to forty kilos, which isn't that much. I'm sure some people listening have carried more, um, but we're carrying forty kilos, and it's getting into higher altitude now, and I'm just rocked. I'm just struggling. Like my legs are shaking. I'm gonna fall over. I'm not doing too hot. You know, this is like four days into carrying the bag, bag. So with the head wrap on your neck and uh it's just rocking me and that day i i would lag a long time behind and when i arrived i felt just a lot of pain a lot of pain back spasms and stuff but i was laughing because at that point like it wasn't gonna get much worse you know, like, <laughs> or you could, hoped but i guess it didn't right it, i got a little sick the day before the last day uh i got sick and i had diarrhea um, I don't know why, but yeah, I mean the hundred kilos at the end, I tried to carry a hundred kilos, a hundred kilos. So 220 pounds. 
Yeah, so the, the strongest porters will carry 100 kilos. So to really get in their good graces, I was like, I'm going to carry 100 kilos. And I started bragging the whole time. From the second I met them, I was bragging about it. And uh, by day six, seven, I'm I'm not really bragging about it a whole lot. Like, You're I hoping people sh- forget <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I ho- I'm hoping that that they say like, no, we have to go on. There's not enough time. That's what I'm hoping. And again, to one argument, like watch me, I can do it. But come day 11, I am very much hoping that there's not enough time to do this. And I had that diarrhea the night before. Um, but there was time they, they let me do it. And then once I started with 80 or something, we threw on the last bag, maybe it was just 90 or 95. And that bit, which was four hours or something, across pretty easy terrain, yeah, I, I was kind of gone mentally, if you wow. know what I mean. Wow. Yeah. So I just, I just kind of – You just went into a space where you're like, I, I'm not even thinking. Like just yeah. one foot in front of the other in front of the <laughs> yeah. other. Yeah. yeah. So – so what what is it like for the porters? Like they they obviously do it quite a bit. Is it a strain on them, or or are they like they could do it day in day out? You know they've gotten to a point where they're so physically fit that it's not tough. I don't know because you know some people say people say so many things like it can't be as good for your back. You know they say all this stuff, um, but the truth is I have no idea which is better. You know I think it's to each his own. At the end of the whole time, I lost maybe 20 plus pounds and uh, my body had shrunk. All my muscles were gone, but I was stronger. My, my efficiency levels were just f- through the roof. Like I just felt like my bones were stronger. They could handle more stress. And by the end of that two weeks, apart from that 100 kilos, there were times then when I would fly with the pack. When it you lean forward so it, it hangs on your back in a, on a plank and you can get it like you, you kind of run. You're already leaning forward in this lean with a backpack. It will pull you back, pull you back. So I don't know which is healthier. There's some articles that say perhaps the the port, the Namlo is uh, is healthier. But I have no idea. I mean, it definitely makes you efficient. I was efficient as. Yeah. Man. So then, all right, so you ha- you're having this experience. When, when you're going, is there, like, did you meet other porters that then became more uh, uh, yeah, friends yeah. with you? And then uh, would you walk with them? Like, when you're going to the next camp, did you get, like, a little, were you part of a little crew that, like, all right, we're always going together. All right, Nate's straggling today. We're going to, like, <laughs> wait for him or help him. Did you, did you find a crew of people? Yeah, there are some. There's a crew of people we developed. We wouldn't. You wouldn't always be with them, but some days you're with them. The higher you get, you're with them, and it's like a team at that point. You know, you're all doing your work, but you you go together, and uh, you make jokes when it's easy. You laugh. You do little videos because I had the camera, so we do little videos. And I mean, there it was great guys. The one guy I tried to, he was like trying to work out and become like a who knows why and so we talk about that or i mean there's some really there were some really great people and you do walk with them and you get really close and you start singing and you know making jokes and doing all this stuff and by the end of the trip it was it was like a 180 of how i was treated wow so it was cool if you like would a porter do that trip that you did and as soon as they get back down start up again yeah one day one day rest and then go and and just like indefinitely pretty much like they just yeah yeah. you go like five times i assume in a season and then it could also be you go once for 30 days you go twice for 30 days i mean these people work as farmers in the meantime and they come in for the season to do this for extra money uh but, but yeah, I mean, I got, yeah, there was a, at the end of the whole thing, right before the hundred kilo day, we're exhausted. I'm obviously a long way behind because we had to travel a long day that day and, uh, we arrive and we haven't gotten an interview of the porters, like the ones I work with, Sukra and Jivan. 
G-Bon, and uh, I was like just exhausted. So we set it up, and I interviewed him a few questions about the financial side of things, and then I was done. <laughs> and then my, I had no idea what to ask. I was just dead, and my cameraman was like, you got to move over. Like, let me do this. And he just interviewed him, and that interview, that transcript, I had read back when I was making the film, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. I didn't know any of this. I can't even put some of this in the film because it's so harrowing or whatever. And uh, thanks to him, he got the whole, he did the whole interview. That whole interview was a whole movie. So, Wow. And you were just so physically beaten down that you were like, I, you couldn't even think – there was, enough. I, there was enough at that point i was like there's gotta be enough for something like i can just show one clip of this and i'll, I'll have enough to get the, at that point i still wanted a tv show i was like i'll have enough for that okay. and, uh, but it turned out that and this is where like my knowledge of it starts to wane a little bit it turned out that the story you thought you were going to tell essentially here comes nate hey here's the culture nate got up and down the mountain look at nate he's strong you know it was really hard it was exhausting that was the story right like that you thought you were going to tell or might tell not that at all so what is the story and the mission and and the message that you're spreading with the film what are you trying to get across yeah, it sounds super bad when you say it like that. But well, also and, and I'm true. being a bit tongue-in-cheek. Well, I'm no, being a bit tongue-in-cheek because we know each other. I, it wasn't about you. I mean, even if you watch that or you watch it. It is, though. It is, but, but yeah, it is, but it's, it, it would have been done right. in an okay way. Like People would still be interested because they're not going to do it themselves. So it's like, well, Nate's doing it instead of me, so I'm still interested. You know, it's not because of your ego necessarily, but it's like you're the character instead of what 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 came about yeah no i I just said you were right you were true in what you said it was it was that and then i ended up that's why i went to hollywood right after i went to hollywood zero dollars basically a few hundred straight from nepal all i had was a hard drive that's it i went straight there to sleep on my friend's couch biking around on a bike with no brakes in this sweatshirt that smelled like crap and uh i'm going to these meetings like ridiculous meetings you know like boardroom meetings looking like this riding this bike and pitching this project and it hadn't even i didn't even know what i'd done yet i had no real clue of what i had on footage of anything i just knew what i had done i didn't know the interview i didn't know all this stuff and that was taking a long time hollywood's a very unique place um i wasn't doing too hot i was 25 you know that's that's the quarter life crisis time and uh, it was simultaneous with the Hollywood thing. I just had to leave. And my dad had an editing system. I started making the film. Started with a trailer. And then no one's going to make the film. I guess I have to try and make something. And for months, I was still making the Hollywood film about me and my adventure and all these stand-ups, like office-like stuff, you know, talking heads of listen to me talk about their diet and me do this and them and there and stuff. And uh, it just wasn't right, you know, it wasn't right. And eventually, eventually, I sussed it out. And, you know, my story, I walked into a very, very serious problem that is much more deep than we've even talked about. Like the corruption, the litigation, the laws, the stuff that isn't being enforced, stuff like that. Um, It's very deep. And I walked into it. So I'm, I'm a stupid foreigner. Like, I wasn't like going to do this. I walked into it. Yeah, I wanted to show their life, but coming out, I, I don't want to be, especially with everything that's going on, you don't want to be that, you know, that white savior. And I'll throw it out. Like, that's not the move. And that's not my move. And uh, figuring out how to tell their story, because their story now you have, you have footage of it, you have proof, and you have to. You can elevate that to the national, international stage. But it's you as a foreigner elevating their story. So it's like, how am I going to do this? And you find out the only story I can really tell is just exactly the truth. It's just like me, this this guy walking into a problem. You know, that's a story. I'm not saying here, like, let's solve this problem. 
it's a problem. Problem should be solved. But it's more like I walked into like, look, this is like a millennial getting taste of reality. Like the world doesn't revolve around you. Like all this stuff we talked about before, I still didn't even know it for months that how I had a camera there and all the meta of it, the weirdness of doing all that and ending up with a footage in a film that, that people will associate with, you know, even if someone came and did your job and made a film about it, you wouldn't want them to, what if that film wasn't accurate to your job? Right. And, and it's tough because your perception is skewed. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I can never have the right perception. So it was a very hard, I mean, everything's hard, but for me, it was very, it was a crash course in empathy. You know, I'd, I'd been this athlete. I'd been very self-absorbed. I was going to make a movie on Everest with a camera about me doing something insane. Like, it speaks for itself. Hmm. Let's talk about what the problem is that you saw. We, we kind of just touched on it, but give us, give us that. Like, what is the problem that you ended up walking into that you had no idea was a problem when you first set out to do this? There's been a lot of tension at Everest. Like in the past five years, there was a fight in 2015 called like the Everest Brawl and CNN recorded, reported on it. And then there's been, there was a strike later. There's just been a lot of growing tension between clients and porters and Sherpas. And that like last year, John Oliver and a bunch of them did a ton of segments on Everest and Sherpas and all that stuff. Um, cause of the crowding on Everest, it was a big thing. Uh, so where is all this animosity coming from? And this is what I kind of knew before the film. Showing that the Porter reality, I hope, would bridge the gap, but I didn't know exactly how and where that was coming from. So basically, they're getting underpaid, right? They have to pay. We explained the money. They have to pay for their own food and salary, so they end up paying, you know, they end up making no money a day, $7 maybe or zero. By the end of the trip, that makes them rely on tips, but tips are tips, you know, and some cultures don't tip. If you don't get a tip, you're probably going to be mad because you just worked your ass off. And then there it goes, the gap, and the rift expands. So a lot is just the salary for now and the segregation, like people sleeping on the floors and all this stuff. It's all right if you're getting paid a fair wage, you know, but like – if you're not even getting paid enough to aspire to something better, like that's, that's indentured something, you know? Yeah. That's a good point. Like that's the issue, right? Is like you can't take, you can't work your butt off, be a porter, make enough to say in five, 10, 15 years, whatever, I'm going to have enough that then I can turn around and start my own company, or at least in the way that, that you were doing it. Like there wasn't any way to work harder. I mean, these people are the heart, probably the hardest working people on the planet, right? So there's no way to work harder and get more and get ahead. It's just, yeah, you're like you said, you're essentially, if I don't work, I can't eat, but if I work and I need to eat, then I have no money. Yeah, and of course, exactly. And just raising their salary, of course, is not everyone's going to. It would just give people more of an opportunity. You know, it's just like, it's just not, I don't think it's fair. It's just not fair to make that level of money and to put all the determination of your salary on tips. Like, I understand that. We can do that in America with restaurants and stuff because that's like how it is. Everyone knows. Like, we don't rely on foreigners coming in. If a foreigner comes into your restaurant, it's like a battle between the workers who's not going to wait on them. No one wants to wait on the foreigner because they're probably not going to tip. Yeah, or tip it, definitely not tip as well as, no. as we're used to you know, in America. Yeah. No, but it, with porters, it's all foreigner-based. And you don't know how someone's going to tip. And they might not tip well. And that's not that shouldn't be... I just feel like that's not fair. And I, this is why I want to articulate that I'm not some good like dude. Like I'm definitely not perfect. But it just feels – it felt off or felt like a problem. I, I want to be careful because I don't want to come off like I'm some – Well, what you – know. yeah, I mean like you said, I think you, you put it really well a little while ago. You said, I don't want to be a white savior. 
I, I could I make could I get a job here and send money to certain people that I know in Nepal and help them out? Sure. But this is a systematic problem that I can't solve. I'm not going to make enough that I send enough money to every porter who then can send their kid to school or whatever. It's like this is an industry that's been around for, you know, decades and it's an issue. And so for what has then been, I mean, you got the film made and what has then been the, the reception and what is kind of the, uh, like, what's the end goal f- on your end? Because we will make it about you because I do want to know, like, what is the end goal for you in getting it out there? You know, because now you are telling a story and you're, and you're proud of, of how it came out because you said it's not about me. I'm going to shine a light on this problem. But ultimately, you could shine a light on a problem. And if no one sees it, then they don't know it's a problem. Right. So it's, it's a very true. It's about both. You know, at that point, because you have to you have to show your own film to get it seen and you have to push your own stuff to get people to see it and to spread it. And so right now, I think it's just spreading. It's just spreading it. You know, wherever that leads to is where it's going to lead to. People are asking me what I'm doing next. Next is like having done the whole film. I had to teach myself filmmaking to do this. I'd never like done a film or anything. Um most people that, haven't. <laughs> Most people yeah. haven't. It's a whole lot of useless information. You know, it's like all the stuff you know for podcasts and everything. Like, if you're not doing podcasts, you can't really use it. Right, right. It's it's a it's a one it's a bit of a one off skill. Like you're either using it or you're not. Yeah. So it's at this point, having done it all on my own, it, it's like to continue. I have to do a lot more on my own. So then you get into the parts about business which i find kind of fascinating like how do you market it you know how do you how do you market it i don't really want to go to festivals because for me what's the point of a festival you know get an award but that's i don't really need an award i never really wanted to be a filmmaker i just i just want people to see this you know so okay so we'll go to universities and we're touring what i really have is like my experience like this is what i can pass on is warning Millennials like me, like, don't fall into the same egotistical path that I did and realize that there is other people. There are other people on this planet. Like, it's not all about you. It's all about you, but it's not. Is, so, that, is that the kind of the main push, trying to get to universities and get in front of people in that age group, like early 20s, whatever, mid-20s? Yeah, I think I think we started with climbing gyms. Um, and then brands, outdoor brands, and we're getting a whole lot of publicity. But it's mainly, I, I say we because it sounds better when you right. say we. I always say we too. I'm like, we do this. And when people say like, who is we? I'm like, uh, me? Maybe Heather? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we are, we are, we're doing that. And I, I just think personally, like I would connect most, my story would be most receptive in a university. Like I would be able to pass on most information about how to treat other cultures, how to treat other people when you're traveling, how to embed yourself in another place respectfully. The anthropological view, I feel like that's my pass on. And selfishly, I'd hope to create a career. After all, that's why I made the film was to have proof so I wouldn't be a bum forever. Um, But whenever I die out, like, when I, you know, when you are emailing and you just, you, you like, it's really, wow, I'm not swearing. I'm, I just realized that. But you get like a dead end and you like, no one responds, you know? And you're like, it's done. It's done. It's never going to happen. At that point, it kicks in like, wait, if you give up, like, then it's not getting out there. Right. You know? It's a bigger so mission. How- it's like, that's. You having that bigger mission is the thing that's going to keep you going. Whereas if it was an egotistical thing, you would have left it on the Hollywood floor and been like, no one wants this and I'm done and I'll move on to the next thing. But it because it wasn't about you, which you, you it, fe- was. it was, but then you figured out later it wasn't like that is what kept you going probably subconsciously without even knowing that's what the film would look like. You knew there was more to it than Nate climbs a mountain. And carries lots of weight, you know? Yeah, I had to. But that is, yeah, that's the thing. So that is very true. It, it pushes you. You have to have that. You have to have that feeling like like there's a reason. You know, even with your podcast, if it's just for you, you're going to die out 
probably two. You have to have that feeling like, no, I need, like, I need to do this. I need to share these stories. Like, I need to guy, get this guy from April three year and a half years ago who no one else is going to take because who right. else? He has a know? story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And who, maybe someone might hear it and, and do something big and yeah. who knows? Yeah. There's, and that's what I love about putting yourself out there. And you've done that, right? You said, hey, I don't know how to make a film. I'm going to do it anyway. And even before that, hey, even if it was egotistical to start, hey, I don't know anything about portering and this is going to be really hard, but I'm going to do it. And, and on that note, when you put yourself out there, and that's why we love doing the podcast. I mean, is it super fun for me? Of course, I love doing it. But you never know who's going to listen that's going to have a connection to someone else or they're going to take uh, a leap because of something that someone said, whether it's me, whether it's a guest, whether it's Heather. I, again, you put it out there and you create ripple effects and, and you can only do your part. And then, you know, the, this, as you said, what happens happens. Yeah, you can learn strategies. Yeah, you can learn tactics. Yeah, you can push it. But there comes a point where you just say, I'm doing what I can. And, and I got to be okay with that. And I, and I got to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even just like, if nothing comes about from any of article or whatever, like that, you still do them, you know, you, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. The whole, the whole idea of business and marketing and doing all that is very fascinating as well. And it, it's, it's a game. It, you said you were an athlete, right? I, like not a college athlete. I stopped playing tennis about three weeks into my college first college season, um, because I was lazy as anything. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but but you know it's it's in that same vein of why we like sports. It's like it is a game. Like it's a game that can make you a lot of money. It's a game that can get you fame. It's a game that can you know you can win different ways, and the ways that you want to win are you know are going to change. But ultimately, you're saying like, I'm figuring out something in a competitive environment because other people are trying to do it too. And it spurs me to get better and to learn more and, and to push myself when I when I could just easily sit back and be like, eh, I don't know this. Someone does it better. Okay, give up, you know? Yeah, and you can do that, I, but but you can't. I mean, you got to survive. You got to make money somehow. Well, that is true too. That so is true too. Are. The goal is to get this out, but has this opened up other ideas for projects for you? Like, is that what you'd still like to do? Hey, I really liked making movies. Is this something you want to pursue? Or are you saying, no, my goal is to get this one project out and that's the singular focus? People, yeah, people ask me, like, what's your next thing? You know, people always ask you that. Or, and I'm like, this is it right now. Like, I can't really think about the future because this – I don't know how much left there is on this. Other, th I honestly, I think this project has gotten me so far for myself, like that. Until I finish it, I won't be back at myself. If that makes sense. So having made the film, having to think in their mind so much, because every day you're editing it, you're reliving it, right? And you need to reinstill that emotion with which you were there in the film. So you're getting further and further away from like kind of yourself and in that process i'm thinking like you know you're thinking crazy things you're like oh, i'm gonna do these this movie and this film about like this issue and this issue and then I, i'm coming to realize like i i don't think i'm some social brigadier and social like justice advocate activist you can go that route but is it my route i don't know yet i think my strength might lie in just doing these dirty jobs you know, doing these dangerous jobs, doing these crazy jobs. That's, that's where I like, that's where I love it. You know, just like racing cars, doing this, doing that, just experiencing. Yeah. That's your skill set. That's, that's your expertise. That's your passion. That's the thing, you know, if we're talking business, that's your unique value proposition, right? Exactly. Like you're yeah. willing to, to say, I'm going to put a hundred kilos on my back and slog for four hours. And there might be two other humans, you know, white Americans who have ever done this before me. Yeah. And maybe they didn't do the hundred kilos. You have to figure oh, that out. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that is, and that, and that might be where you live, right? You're saying, all right, I might need to have other people help with the, whatever, this part, this part, this part, but for me, 
it's it's saying this is what I love. I love diving in and doing the immersion the immersion myself. Yeah, so we'll try to. Uh, we originally made the film because I didn't think anyone would buy my books because I feel like my generation wouldn't buy books. Period. Let alone from an author who's unpublished and there's no reason to. So I made the film. I was thinking like if I can get my name out there, then they'll buy the books. You know, kind of like this steep approach, and then I can coast along and live in some Italian village and do nothing and just chill and write and do sip my wine things. and write yeah. books. I mean, like I said, I'm not an activist. That would be just life. I'm guessing so, though, knowing you over two different episodes, sitting in an Italian village, drinking wine and writing books would last for maybe a couple months, yeah, and then exactly. you'd be like. I want to build my own Italian villa. I've never built anything before, you know, or whatever it is. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure that you'd be able to handle it for infinite no, amounts of time. I, I'd go on and off. I'd go on and off. Yeah. Awesome, but, man. Yeah. Awesome. I love, too, the, the, the honesty with, with that of, like, you know, the question, what do you have coming in the pipeline? You're saying, like, I don't know. Like, I know I have to... F- put put a bow on this to some degree and i'm not sure what that bow will be but i'll kind of know it when i get to it you know whether it's a big win or you know for the film or whether it's like hey i've pushed to this 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 and you know i'm at a point where this is it i'm done you know who knows yeah I'm, i'm excited to uh even this film even coming back i had to make the film in my parents house that point of coming back was like the first time in five years you know four years since before we talked since before we talked i've been pretty much living out of a bag and i said it yesterday to someone i was like (laughs) i like when you're traveling like that you're kind of just free from the future that's why it's so freeing because there are no worries there's no real goals and i had a goal but you're free from it you know you're free from all the worries of all this of a lease and all these things and now at 26, I'm like, you know, I made that push to Hollywood to try and make a career, to try and come back to society. And uh, it's a major adjustment getting used to just everything that you are used to. Yeah, it's responsibility. Responsibility is a big word, yo. And then, and yeah, like responsibility sucks, you know? Yeah, it can and it, and it, and it can be and it can be a push too, right? Like you said, like there's there's a season for everything and and balancing that is something that is probably one of life's hardest lessons. It's probably harder than carrying a 100 kilo pack for 4 hours when you break, when you say it. you're like this is has an end goal, but like how do I balance responsibility with 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 pushing myself with living a life that I want to do but also making sure I'm you know, setting myself up in the future, family, whatever, you know, you just keep adding layers on. Um, and it's cool to hear you say like, this is, this is what I'm trying to figure out. You know, yeah, like it's, it's that time. Like I'm, I'm 26 and I'm like, all right, I gotta, it's time to like become maybe, maybe more of an adult. Maybe don't, don't become I, too much of an adult. Though. I don't think I'll ever become too much of an adult. That's right. <laughs> no one's going to, no one's going to, uh, accuse you of that. Awesome, man. Well, Nate, but thank you so much for joining me again for, for time number two. There have been very few two time guests on the podcast. I, if I, if I had to guess, I'd say maybe there have been five, four or five. So, um, you're in esteemed company, man. Uh, about the amount of people, white Americans who have portered on Everest are, they, are yeah, the same amount as two times. Canadian. Ago. I think it's a Canadian and a Brit. Okay. We'll, we'll say white foreigners who have, who have also portered Everest. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today, man, and being so open and honest, shining a light on an issue that many people haven't given much thought to. And that, and that's the, I, and when I say that, I mean the porter issue, but also the issue of, hey, am I making this about me? Am I taking a step outside of myself enough? And this is something anyone can do. Whether your goal is to Porter Everest or do immersion uh, travel or you're just a regular person saying like, hey, am I making this too much about me? Can I see that there's a bigger picture? And if there is, where is my place to maybe make a difference? And, and, and that's 
that's what's cool about it is like that's the story that you're telling about yourself. Yeah. It's my it's like hopefully I went that I had to go that far because my mind is just inferior in a way. It couldn't get there quicker. But hopefully me doing it can show other people like you don't have to do that. Right. To right. to get to the same point. Yep. Totally. And that, that's the story. Yeah, you're right. It's just my story. That's yep. it. Yep. Completely. Remind people, all right, they want to see the film, and I'm going to go watch the, uh, I watched about, it's 52 minutes, right, or something like that? Yeah, I think it is. It's pretty niche film, let's be honest. It's very niche. You it know? is. I watched the first, like, 15 when I stopped and said, no, 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 not going too far, because I don't want to know everything. Um, yeah. But where can people go to check that out, and, and to follow you any further? Yeah, so the film is has been up just for free at the porterfilm.com. Uh, it's been up free there for a couple months now. I think so over 5,000 have been to the page, which I'm like, that's kind of cool. Um, I was, I might password protect it as I start this tour, but maybe not. Uh, we also have a, we, you see that? It's crucial. We have an Instagram page. Um, I'm basically just uploading like all the behind the scenes, all the stuff, at, that didn't make into the film. I'm just putting on there. Whether people follow it or not, I don't really care. But I wanted to get it out there, and that's just the porterfilm.official. Uh, but otherwise, otherwise on the website you'll see, you know, everything it has links to the Instagram, the YouTube. It has some writing related to it, as well as the gallery of all the behind the footage stuff. Awesome, awesome. We will link all that up in the show notes, guys. And Nate, I want to say thanks again uh, for coming on. The moment you wrote in and was like, Hey, Trav, I've got this project. I mean, I, I hate getting into my email and I rarely respond to emails actually. And the moment I saw that come through, it was probably the quickest response I'd sent to anyone other than like the tax guy saying, Trav, you got to get like, get me this today. Cause we got a file. I was just like, let's do it. Let's do it. It was and so, quick. It was very quick. I, I was very surprised. I knew that you had a bigger mission, like, you know, just from the few sentences you told me, but I knew it was an adventure. I knew you were going to tell a great story. And then when I saw that there was this kind of bigger thing around it, both your story, but also like this story of this systematic, essentially oppression uh, of these people, um, it, it really hit a nerve with me too. And so I'm, I can't thank you enough for, for doing the hard work and carrying the hundred kilos. Cause man, dude, at 37, I don't think I'm carrying a hundred kilos uh, ever in my life. So I appreciate you doing it for me. Yeah, no worries. No worries. It's weird. It's definitely weird pushing a film when all this is happening too about a different issue. But listen, there's always going to be stuff happening there's and there, there's room for multiple issues, right? It's not like, Hey, we solve COVID or, you know, uh, solve who knows if that happens or Hey, black <laughs> lives matter, which is, which is great gaining momentum, but that doesn't mean there's another stuff happening that, that people need to be aware of. So thank you, man. I appreciate it. Guys, go check out theporterfilm.com. We will link everything up in the show notes at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows. And Nate, once again, thanks, my man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us the number one travel podcast. Until next time, everyone, happy free travels. <laughs>